Amen. And uh, Sarah's daughter Zoe turned one yesterday, so uh, we're not going to sing happy birthday, Zoe, but uh, just wanted to call that to you. Hey, I'm really excited. We have some uh, really great news. Um, The Children's and Family Ministry search team has found our person who's going to head our Children's and Family Ministry, and uh, that is Stephanie Lewis, and there she is. Um, Stephanie is sick today. Uh, we were going to have like a little interview and that kind of thing, but she's actually sick, so um, we'll do that later. But the next time that you see her, uh, if you can just kind of encourage her and uh, let her know uh, that you're glad that uh, she's a part of that. Also, I'm really pumped today. Today is our baptism, and so after this celebration, we'll be going down to the pool uh, to baptize some folks, and so I um, uh, just want to encourage you to be a part of that. Well, this morning, we're going to tackle a very uh, difficult uh, topic. So are you ready? Okay, when I say are you ready, say ready, okay? Are you ready? Ready. Okay, let's go. Um, You know, at a very early age, we all learn to discriminate. At a very, very early age, we all learn to define our circles and to know who is in and who is out. I'll never forget going to junior high church camp And I was one of the younger kids in the camp. And there were older kids that were uh, a part of that camp that I really looked up to. And uh, this was not just any ordinary camp, though. This was an adolescent, acne-driven, hormone-speed-driven kind of camp. And on the second day, we had this kickball tournament. And uh, the way they did this kickball tournament is that uh, they lined up all the boys and girls uh, in a straight line, and then there were two of the older boys that would begin to start picking uh, different kids to be on their team. Now, one of the boys was Aaron Shively. And Aaron Shively was an eighth grader, and he was big and strong. And I looked up to him because... He actually had hair under his lips, you know. And when he would lift up his arms like this, he had hair under his armpits. And he would wake up in the morning and he would shave and put on deodorant and cologne. I mean, I only took a shower every other day. And usually that was with bug spray, you know what I mean? And so uh, he was just somebody I looked up to. And so as we're standing in this line and we're getting ready to get picked uh, for this particular team, I just knew that Aaron would pick me because I was a part of his cabin. And so they started picking and Aaron picked somebody and the other older boy picked somebody and they picked all the boys and it came down to me and I was just sure that Aaron would put me on his team. And Aaron did the unthinkable. He picked a girl! And then the other kid picked another girl. And they started going through all the girls until finally it was just me and this scrawny little girl. And Aaron looked at me straight in the eye and I knew it was coming. 
And he said, Chris, I pick Amy. And I was left on the sideline while everyone else was in the game. I was alone. I was uninvited. And everybody else was in, but I was out. I have a feeling that every single person in this place knows what it's like not to be chosen. What it's like to be passed over to be set aside, to be not picked, to be discriminated against because of your lack of athletic ability or your appearance or your looks or your size. Maybe you've been discriminated because of your economic status or your gender or the color of your skin. And this morning, what I want us to do is dig into a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 10. And as we look at this passage, I think what it will do is challenge us to understand how we might overcome some of our own prejudices. Now, how many of you brought your Bible today? Just by a sign of hands, lift it up. Now, what I want to encourage you is that just for this series, we're encouraging people uh, to bring their Bibles. Now, some of you are sitting there and going, this is my first Sunday. I didn't know. It's okay. It's no big deal. But next week, bring your Bible. And if you need a Bible, right there at the resource table, you can stop and pick up a Bible, and uh, we'll go through that together. But today, we're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 10. And we're going to look at a particular character, a guy by the name of Peter. And Peter was Jesus' closest friend. In fact, he was the one that Jesus handpicked to start the church. So after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, he said, Peter, I want you to carry on my mission, and I want you to be the leader of the church. So what we're going to see in Acts 10 is that as he's this leader that there is this enormous awakening that comes into Peter's life. God shows to him who is in and who is out. And he has a new understanding that Peter had never had in his life before. Now again, he was his right-hand man, the one that he had hand-picked. But the only problem was is that Peter was very rigid in his own set of beliefs, in his own kind of Jewish law frame that he had about in the kingdom who's in and who's out. And in this text, we'll see how God radically penetrated his prejudiced heart to have it change. Now, the way that this is going to work is kind of like a film. In any film, you have different scenes. And so there's going to be four scenes that we read through. Now, I want you to know there's going to be a lot of reading and a lot of text right at the front part. So you've got to kind of stick it out. It's kind of like in history class. No one likes history, but sometimes you just have to stick it out. You know, I mean, we like history. We don't like history teachers, right? So you just kind of got to stick it through. So think that I'm a nice history teacher that you like, and we're going to dig through this, okay? So here's scene one, chapter 10, verse 1. And uh, if you brought your Bible, you can open that up to Acts chapter 10. 
This is what it reads. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devoted and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in prayer and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devoted soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, if I were looking at this text, first of all, I'd want to know who, are, who is writing this. And the guy that's writing this is a guy by the name of Luke, who was one of Jesus' followers, and uh, he was a doctor. And we're told in this story that there's a guy by the name of Cornelius, and he's defined in a couple different ways. They said he was devout and God-fearing. Now, if I was writing down that text of God-fearing, I would ask myself, um, what does it mean to be God-fearing? Now, this was a technical term for Gentiles. You might say, well, what's a Gentile? Well, a Gentile is a non-Jewish person. So someone that's not a Jew, um, but is one who believed in one God. You see, Gentiles often had multiple gods that they believed in. And there were different idols that they would worship. But Cornelius was a person who believed in one God, and he attended the synagogue or the church uh, of that day for Jewish people. And he had converted to all of the Jewish teachings except one, circumcision. Now, if you're a baby, I mean, not that young boys are all excited, but, you know, as a baby, you're like, circumcision, no big deal. Give me some sugar and I'm good to go, you know. But if you're a grown man, I mean, I could see why he would be a little reluctant. Believe me, I think I would understand that. But otherwise, besides circumcision, uh, Cornelius sought to worship the one true God. And we are told that he was generous to the poor and that he was a man of prayer. So when God sends an angel to him with a clear message to send for Peter, Cornelius responded immediately. Now let's hit scene two, starting in verse nine. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being cooked and prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all food, all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, 
Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken to heaven. Now just pause there for a second. The reality is that for those of us in 2013, we've read these uh, verses so far, and we're like, so what? But I can't begin to tell you what a radical vision this would have been for this guy, Peter. And you can't understand it unless you understand the four or the uh, disciples and who they had been raised to become. You see, all of the disciples of Jesus, there were 12 of them, at an early age were Jewish young men who were taught that they were chosen people by God. And they believed that God was on their side and only on their side. And they learned to have a great distrust and dislike for anyone who was not like them. They also had this big laundry list of elaborate rules. Rules on what they could eat and on how they could dress and how they worshipped. And you can read a lot of these in the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, which is just the first five books that deal with the laws that God had given. But these, the laws for our particular story this morning center around the whole concept of what kind of foods were Jewish people allowed to eat and what type of foods were they not allowed to eat. And God, remember, had called them to be a separate people, so they were separate even in their menu. And some of these uh, rules included that you could not eat an animal who was a meat eater. So any meat-eating animal, you could not partake in. Also, there was no fish that you could eat that had fins or scales. In other words, how many of you like shrimp cocktail? Raise your hand. You don't get any, okay, if you're during this time. No shrimp cocktail, okay? Absolutely nothing could you eat that was offered to an idol. And then there were elaborate uh, regulations about how the food had to be prepared. That's why Jewish people, even today, who are Orthodox, they have a menu and sometimes they'll even have a separate kitchen of uh, foods that they'll eat. It all goes back to uh, what Peter was raised in. There were even certain food combinations that you couldn't have, such as eating meat with milk. How many of you like lasagna? Raise your hand. Do you like Olive Garden lasagna? Yes. Not. You get no Olive Garden either because of this food uh, rule. Now, the earliest uh, disciples one day were walking with Jesus along a road, and Peter was one of them, and Jesus said something that was totally radical, but they didn't even listen to him. He said, there are no foods that are unclean. And all of them are looking around at each other. Are you a Jewish person? Of course there's things that are unclean. You're whack, Jesus. And they just went on their way. And so when Peter started the church, 
He didn't say that there were some food that was clean and some that was unclean. He said, hey, you know what? We're not going to follow Jesus' rule that all food is clean. We're going to say that there's some food that you can have and some food that you can't. They also believed, like I said, that you had to be circumcised. So all of these grown men would have to be circumcised to be a true follower of God because they saw themselves as God's favorites. And I think why this vision is so weird, I mean, it is weird. A sheet comes down, and there's all of these different animals that are on this sheet. And I think the reason why God had to do this is because he had to have a dramatic vision that was so over the top that it would shake Peter up to his very core. I think without this astonishing vision, his heart and his prejudice towards Gentiles would have never changed. So Peter sees this sheet come down, and there's all of these different animals, unclean animals that he's never touched or ever eaten in his entire life that are on it. And then there's this voice from an angel that God tells them, get up, kill, and eat. And when Peter heard that, you could just imagine that every fiber in his being was like, no way! I'm not going to eat that! Um, God, by the way, did you get the whole memo of the first five books of the Bible? It tells us not to eat certain foods. Now, if you remember Peter, when he hung out with Jesus, he was always trying to tell Jesus what to do. Any of you got a friend like that? Don't raise your hand because they might be here. Okay? Yeah, but we know people like that, and that's the way Peter was. And Peter didn't learn his lesson just with Jesus himself. Now he's telling God, God, I'm trying to tell you who should be in the kingdom and who shouldn't. But God doesn't budge. Three times he tells Peter in this passage to kill and eat the meat. And God says, I'm going to do a new thing. A brand new thing. Something that this world has never seen before. He said, now, I'm not just going to have one chosen people. He said, I'm going to open up the floodgates to where everyone will have an opportunity to come to me, to have salvation, to be made whole, to spend eternity in heaven with me. It goes to all people now. You see, the, the Jewish people had taken this idea of being God's chosen people so far that they were filled with kind of this racial pride and this hatred, actually, for anyone who is not Jewish. Most of them despised Gentiles. They even called them dogs. And it wasn't the way that this guy says dog. You know, Randy Jackson said, you my dog, like that, right? But in this day, if you were called a dog, it was like the most derogatory comment you would ever see. Um, this week I heard, you know how much Americans spent on animals and animal care last year? $53 billion. Not million, billion dollars. So we take care of our animals. We like dogs, we like our cats, we, we take care of them. But in that day, dogs were not uh, a domestic animal. 
They were just animals that ran around and people didn't want anything to do with, and they just ate on the scraps. And so if you were called a dog, you were called like the lowest of low. And now God's intention is to reveal to Peter how wrong his behavior has been towards the Gentiles. And how the circle of who can be included into the kingdom now is going to be widened in such a way that Peter could never imagine. So the rest of scene 2, starting in verse 17, says this. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his home to be his guests. So here's Peter. He's upstairs. He's waiting for lunch to be prepared. And the most unlikely thing happens. Three Gentiles come to his door, visitors. And he not only invites them in, he feeds them, and then he says, you can spend the night with me, because the distance from where they were to Caesarea was about 30 miles, and they couldn't do it. Now, to you guys sitting there right now, you're like, yeah, again, so what? Well, think about the person that you dislike the most, maybe even hate. And they come knocking on your door. And God has given you this vision to where all of a sudden your mind totally changes. You know what that's called, folks? An only God moment. Only God. Only God can change a person's heart in such a way that they would no longer be prejudiced towards someone, but they would actually reach out. And who could have imagined? Only God could have transformed Peter's heart to this way. Because Jews never, never associated with Gentiles. I mean, they never wanted anything to do with them. They would never hang out with them, let alone have lunch with them and then invite them over to spend the night at your house. And God was beginning to tear down this divisive barrier. Okay, let's turn to scene 3, verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Now, what we'll find out here in just a little bit is that later, because all of you are reading your little Bible plan, right? Uh, You got it in your uh, program today? I don't know where mine is. But anyways, you got a little program. uh, In your program, there's a Bible reading plan. Just start there. Wherever you're at, doesn't matter, just start there. But in chapter 11, when we get there, what we're going to find out is that 
Peter doesn't go along. He actually brings six Jewish believers with him. Why would he do that? Well, if you're getting ready to explain to people that we should include this group of people into our church that we hate, you better have some eyewitnesses that have your back when you stand up to talk about them. So in verse 24 it says, The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. In other words, there's a big party going on at his house. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only human myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or visit them. But God has shown me that I should not call... What's the next word? What is it? Anyone. Anyone. I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Now, if you look back in verse 15, which some of you can do, and you can do it in your program, God told Peter not to call anything unclean. He said things. Don't call anything unclean. But now, Peter makes this huge leap, and he tells Cornelius that God had told him not to call what? Anyone unclean. You see, there is a change going on in Peter's heart. There is a change that is happening with him. He is changing literally before their eyes of who should be included into the kingdom. Now, Peter had just asked Cornelius, you know, why did you call for me? And in verse 30, Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house, I was praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and reminded uh, and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I love that phrase. Cornelius is like, hey, we're all here. Whatever you want to tell us, we're ready to get it. Go ahead. I mean, I'm waiting for the day that someone stands up here right beside me and says, Chris, we're all here. Bring it. You know? Most of you sit there sometimes you're like, ugh. Uh. You know? This is a great introduction. And now we come to like the climax of this whole story. And it's the key to our message that I'm going to get real practical in just a couple of minutes. So stay with me. Here's the key to the message. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Again, for those of us in 2013, so what? But if you're there, folks, and all of a sudden, this group of people that you've never had, never wanted anything to do with, 
And as a Jewish believer, Peter stands up and he actually says this. This is an only God moment. Only God, only God could have brought Peter to this point. God had explained to Peter that the good news of Jesus was not just available to a certain race of people, but now it was open to any race of people. No longer was there just a chosen people, but now everyone, everyone could be a part of the kingdom if they chose to turn to Christ. Now, we're not going to read all the rest of uh, Peter's teaching, um, but basically he summarizes Jesus' teaching, and he goes ahead and talks about Jesus' death, resurrection. Then in verse 43, all the prophets testify about him. Who's the him? Jesus, right? All the prophets have testified about Jesus. That, what's the next word? What? Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Here is another radical, intentional moment of inclusion. Before it was only Jewish people that were forgiven of their sins. Now God opens the barn door and says, Hey, anyone, everyone, if you want forgiveness, come to me. You're welcome. Come in. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believer, that is the Jewish guy, who had come with Peter was astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, and look at this, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, then they asked Peter to stay with them a few more days. So Peter and his six Jewish friends, folks, are stunned. It's like a stun gun. God had given these Gentiles the Holy Spirit, and they're not Jewish, and they've never been circumcised. It was as though the the sky was parting, and now all of a sudden God's saying, it's a whole new world, a whole new day. Everyone is welcomed to the kingdom who accept Christ. And did you see what Peter did? He didn't just say, okay, God, I get it, I'll accept him. He says, no, we should go ahead and baptize them. And no longer are they my enemies, but now they're my brothers and my sisters. A line was drawn in the sand that anyone could have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you didn't have to be a Jewish person to have that. Now, Peter kind of displays this remarkable change of heart by staying with these Gentiles a few more days. So just think about this. Again, whoever the person is that you least like, you don't associate with them, you walk by them when you're at work, it's the neighbor you never deal with, and now all of a sudden... God gives you a vision where things are changed that you no longer just, you don't associate. Now, they become like your best buddy, your friend. 
It was as though God had done this miracle that no one could see. Okay, here's our last scene before we get to some practical application. This takes place in chapter 11. And let's look as Peter seals the deal before he goes home. Verse 1, chapter 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard. How did they hear? They were texting back then. You know, that's the way everybody hears today, right? They twittered, they tweeted, they whatever they did. They heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of the uncircumcised and you ate with them. Translated, you are a filthy pig, Peter. How could you lower yourself to go and be with people like that? Well, verse 4 says Peter just keeps on going. He keeps talking about Cornelius and the vision and all of that. And finally it gets to verse 17 and it says this. Peter says, So if God gave them the same gift He gave us, that is the Holy Spirit, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I love that phrase from Peter. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Just earlier, he was trying to stand totally in his way. He's like, who am I? Now, what happens is we keep on going down this story, and finally we get to chapter 15. You can read it. Uh, through this month. But you get to chapter 15, there's this great big meeting, and they call in all the Jewish Christians from the region. And they say, hey, we want everyone to get together because we're going to vote one last time, once and for all, are we going to let Gentiles into this Christian faith or not? And at this meeting, Peter stands up and he boldly says this. Chapter 15. It says, Brothers, You know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did us. And here's the statement. If you've got your Bible open, underline it. But this is the key. He did not discriminate between us. And them. Did you know that? God doesn't discriminate. It's one of the greatest things about God. But you know what the sad truth is? That we discriminate. You discriminate. I discriminate all the time. Very few of us would ever be willing to admit that we have some prejudices in our life that are just beneath the surface. God doesn't have favorites. We have favorites. Now, some of our prejudices are light, and they don't hurt anyone. Like IU fans versus Purdue fans. We all know that IU is better. Go moving on. (laughs) Country music fans versus rock and roll fans. Apple computer fans 
and people who actually like computers and understand them, right? Another dig for our 20-somethings. And the list goes on and on. But there are some prejudices, folks, that are in our lives that are much more serious than just those things. We all know that there are some prejudices that are connected to race. And that those prejudices have created huge wars and unpeaceful events since the beginning of time. We think of the Holocaust. We think of apartheid in South Africa. We think of genocide in Rwanda. In our own country, we think of some of the terrible treatments of Native Americans and African Americans. And in World War II, Japanese Americans. And some of us, just kind of lurking under the surface, there are some prejudices in each one of our lives. But they never rise because we push them down. It might be a person who speaks a different language than us. It might be a person who has a different religion. Maybe we feel uncomfortable because there's a a Mexican family that moved down the road. Or maybe we feel really uncomfortable when a Mormon comes up and knocks on our doors. Or maybe when we see a Muslim person on television or out in public, we immediately have a prejudice towards them. So let me just ask you, who is it that you have an underlying prejudice against? Who is in your in circle? But if you were dead honest, you would say, this person is in my out circle. You know, as the older we get, the reality is the more that we find safety in sameness. We like that we have a circle of friends or people that are just like us. Anne Lamont, who's a Christian writer, gives this great quote. It'll come up on the side screen. She says, You can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you did. Isn't that a great quote? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just throw up a few things, a list of categories of some ways that we discriminate. First of all, and the biggest one, and the one that we find here with Peter, is uh, that of race. And we all have experiences where we've either had prejudices or we've seen it of another person. I think the first time I ever kind of... uh, saw this radical kind of prejudice, happened in seventh grade. I was playing on the basketball team, and we went to Huntington, Indiana, and we played their seventh grade basketball team, and we killed them. I mean, killed them. And after the game, we got showered, and uh, me and my buddy Anthony, we went to the concession stand. I was in line first, and so I walked up, and I ordered a popcorn and some pop. I got my popcorn, got my pop, I walked aside. Anthony walked up, and the man that was across the counter said, we don't serve your kind here. This was 1984, folks. Not very long ago. And I remember when that happened, I didn't stick up for Anthony. I didn't say a word. 
He didn't say a word. We just took the popcorn and the pop. We went to go watch the eighth grade game. We sat in the stands and we shared it together. But that image of that man saying that has stuck in my mind ever since. And maybe for some of you, you've either experienced that or you've witnessed that or you've reacted like that. Race is still something in 2013 that is fully present. Another big discrimination issue is religion, which we saw in this text. Another significant one is class. Do I discriminate? Do you discriminate because a person has a different income level than you do? Also, there's politics. You know, Republicans don't like Democrats. Democrats don't like Republicans. And uh, we can discriminate politically. Educational level. I've seen some of the most snobbish people who are well-educated who just look down upon other people who may not have the same education. Age, young versus old, old versus young. Gender, appearance. Sometimes we treat people better because they're attractive or because of their height or their weight. Marital status. Some married people only include married people in their life. And single folks, kind of the same way, only single folks. Now, maybe there's another category that's in your life, but I'm asking you, in what areas do you discriminate in? Well, the cool thing is that we watch the story of Peter move through a progression in which he finally gets over his prejudice. And what I'd like to do is just take you through the stages that he went through very quickly. The first stage to have a progressive heart is what he experienced was hatred. You see, he hated people who were Gentiles. From a very early age, he had been told, these are people you don't like. These are people you don't deal with. And maybe in your family, your parents, your grandparents, somebody has tried to warp your mind to say, these are people you should not be a part of. Then he moved to a second stage, avoidance. This is clearly where Peter was when he avoided the Gentiles because he didn't want to be a part of it. He thought he was God's favorite. A third stage is tolerance. And Peter hits this stage with the Gentiles. And these, these days we talk about tolerance a lot, don't we? We simply need to be more tolerant of people. And for most of us, we kind of end there. But that's not where God ends, and that's not where Peter ends. It goes beyond tolerance to a fourth stage called acceptance. And that's what Peter does. He finally, fully accepts these people that he wanted nothing to do with. Now that's the basic progression of how you move down. But I was thinking about it this week, that acceptance really has been kind of a cliche word too, and it kind of can be wimpy. And so I think the heart of Jesus, the way he wants you to act towards this whole area of prejudices in your own life and dealing with people, and the way that the Bible is very clear is to this next point, intentional inclusion. That you intentionally include people who are different than you. And Peter did that. He didn't just accept people. He actually started being intentional and saying, any Gentile, I want them to come to Christ. 
Now, some of you are sitting there right now, and there's two things going on in your mind. First of all, you're like, man, that Bible piece sure did take a long time at the beginning bunch, okay? And then the second thing is, is, Chris, what's so wrong with having a group of friends who are just like me, who are in the same economic level, who are the same race, who hold the same beliefs? Why isn't it good enough for me to just be in this comfortable group? Isn't it okay for me to just be tolerant and accepting and not necessarily have to go to the point of being intentionally inclusive? Well, let me tell you why it's not okay. Because that's not the way God's kingdom is going to be. And that's not what God calls you to be if you want to be a kingdom person. It's not God's design. All of us would do well to remember what the kingdom of God is going to look like when we get to heaven and what it should look like here on earth. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible in the New Testament, there's a picture that is shown in which there's this great big banquet. And at the head of this banquet table, at the end of the table, is Jesus. And then around this table, do you know who's there? The scripture says, people of every tribe and every nation. So every tribe, every nation will be around this table. Those who had wealth while they were here on earth and those that didn't. Those of every shape and every size. Those who are married and those who are single and those who are divorced. And this is going to kill some of you. But Democrats and Republicans will be around this same table. Anyone can have a place at the table, the Bible says, if you receive the gift of God's grace while you're here on earth. So what would it look like if you intentionally included some people in your life? Well, one of the major steps would be to believe what is best of the people around you. And don't assume that you know the whole story. Years ago, I I formed a very quick opinion when we first started the church and we were trying to reach out to help a a couple. And there was an opinion that uh, I was totally wrong with. There was a family in our church uh, who we were reaching out to who were battling poverty and they needed a mattress. And so we found a mattress for them. We take the mattress to their home. I go up to the house. I knock on the door and I say, hey, we got your mattress. And the lady told me, well, my husband's sleeping right now. He can't help you. I'm thinking, it's five o'clock in the afternoon. What do you mean he's sleeping right now? And she said, I can help you, but maybe you should get Someone to help you. So I call somebody who comes, helps me, moves the mattress into the house, and I leave with a really bad attitude. I'm like, these poor people, I just don't get it. I mean, if you're poverty stricken, that's one thing, but at least you could have got up and come out and helped me. I had a mattress for you. Well, a couple weeks went by, and this guy came to church. And he walked up to me and he said, 
hey, so sorry I couldn't help you with that mattress, but I work at a fast food restaurant for third shift. My wife works first shift. And while she's working first shift, I watch our little daughter. And if I don't get sleep in the afternoon, I'm no good at work. I hope you understand. You know how small I felt? And you know why? Because there was a prejudice in my head towards people of a different income level. And I confessed and asked God for his forgiveness, and I have worked so hard to realize that it is about getting the whole story. So how can you work on this in your life? Five quick things right here. First of all, if you want to penetrate this, you've got to pick what is your issue. You've got to identify who tends to be in your out circle. Is it a person of color? Is it uh, someone who has more money or less money than you? Um, Is it a married person? Is it a single person? Is it an older person? Is it a younger person? Who is that person? Identify them. Secondly, you need to repent. Repent of your sin of exclusion. You've got to just say, God, I'm sorry. It's hard for us to ever move towards reconciliation if we never first say, God, this is an area that I have a prejudice towards. Then here's another one. Make an effort to spend a few minutes with someone who is different than you. I can't tell you how rich that's been in my life. To find someone from a different culture or background, someone at work or maybe someone in your neighborhood, someone at a convenience store, where you just ask questions, you get to know them and understand them. Here's another idea. Invite someone to lunch who is different from you. That's one of the greatest ways to break down prejudices in your life, when you have a meal with someone who's different than you. If you're married, think of inviting a single person. Maybe it's a person of a different skin color. Some of my richest relationships that I've had is when I've stepped out into a group of people that maybe I just don't feel as comfortable with. And here's finally the last one. Is be the first person to walk across the room and show kindness. Be the first person to walk across the room and show kindness in a social setting. You ever been there before where you're in this social gathering and there's someone off in the corner kind of by themselves and because of their color of skin or what they're wearing or what they look like, everybody just kind of ignores them. You know what I hope happens at the jar? That the jar becomes a group of people, of so many people who are always looking outward and going, there's a person that I need to engage with and you walk across the, the room. Now, I thought about different ways of how we would close with this today, and uh, this is what came to me. What I'd like you to do right now, and I don't know if we have that slide or not, but if we can pull up the slide that has all the different, um, all the different categories of uh, prejudices that we might have towards people. What I'd like you to do is, is to look at one of those, And ask God right now, God, what's the one that I struggle with the most? Maybe it's race. Maybe it's religion. Maybe it's someone who's poor, someone who's rich. Who's on your out list? 
Maybe it's a person of color. But somebody that you might be able to extend an invitation to. And I'm just going to ask right now that you would bow your heads. And we're just going to ask God to reveal to us. Maybe it's a whisper of who is that person or that group that I have a prejudice towards. Maybe there's a picture of a person. God, just just do that. Maybe you would ask God right now to help you overcome that prejudice. You could just say, God, help me right now to overcome that. I got a long way to go. I want to be a radical, invitational includer like Peter was, God, but I need your help. I'm going to ask you to to do something that's kind of a challenge. That if you really do want to become a radical includer, that you just stand to your feet. Just right where you're at. You don't have to say anything or do anything, but everyone's eyes kind of closed. So you can, if you want to be an intentional, Includer in your life. Just stand to your feet right where you're at. And I'd ask that all of us just kind of stand right now and and, uh, we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so sorry for the prejudices in our lives. And we ask that you would work in us. God, sometimes we, we leave from this place and there's a, a teaching or a text that encourages us, that gives us peace. But every once in a while, there's a text like today, God, that stirs up something in us that we know is ugly and we need it to change and it can only change through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we thank you, God, for this text today of what Peter went through and the change that he made. And God, would you do that change in us? Penetrate our prejudiced hearts and reveal to us how God, help us to be the first people to extend kindness and love to people. Because every single person is your creation. We ask that we would do that you would do this, God. For Christ's sake and for his honor.
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you'd like prayer for anything, our prayer team's up here. And if you're new, stop by Guest Connections. We've got a free gift for you. It'll take you less than a minute, but stop by there. We'll get that. Have a great week, and baptism next. Let the dark